Okay. Well, this morning, well, welcome. It's good to see all of you this morning. And we are continuing our four chapters and four weeks look at the book of Ruth. And that this morning leads us to Ruth chapter two. We looked at Ruth one last week and it'll be two this week, three will be next week. And as we look at this, one of the things that I hope that we'll see in this story, in fact, one of the reasons Ruth is so wonderful for us to read is it just comes to us with remarkable relatability. Like in many ways, we can, we can see and identify with in some way what the characters are going through. And in, in Naomi, what we see is a picture for us of what it looks like to be angry with God. In fact, at the end of last week, at the end of the chapter we looked at last week, Naomi renamed herself to Mara. She said, call me Mara, for the, the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. And Ruth appears to us as someone who has also endured a lot of suffering. She, she herself is a widow who has endured a lot of loss. But in her, we see uh, a young idealism in that she made a, just a beautiful, robust commitment to Naomi to serve uh, Naomi's interests and needs. And so what we have in the two of them, you know, coming along together and arriving in Bethlehem together, is some kind of juxtaposition of despair and hope. You know, despair over what they've endured and, and hope for, uh, for the life to come. And, and in a lot of ways, that, man, doesn't that sum up much of our days? This is a real story, written about real people, and it's written for real people. So let's look together at chapter 2 and see where it goes next. I'll read the whole chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went ahead and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, the, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father... And mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me 
and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she also brought out and gave her with what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said also, also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Blessed besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wonderful. Let me pray. Father, we've gathered here. Uh, we have sung to you. We have prayed to you. We have heard from you. And now we've just heard uh, words of this story that you have given to us. And so I pray that you would, uh, in your kindness to us, that you would speak to us now. Uh, that you would give us the courage to hear from you. Uh, help us to be present. And, uh, and Lord, I pray that you would help me, your servant, uh, to love these people well and to honor you with the words that I say. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so fun times with the Google search function. Are you ready for this? So if you type in the word snowpocalypse into, the, into Google, you know what the first option that it gives you is? Birmingham. It's also true for Snowmageddon. If you type in Snowmageddon, it'll say Birmingham. I don't know what Snowmageddon is, but I've heard of Snowpocalypse because many of you have talked to me about this. It was a storm that, uh, that descended on the city uh, many years before I got here. I think it's 2014, if I remember correctly. Um, but it sounds to me like it was just, um, uh, the peop- when people tell me about this storm, it sounds to me like it was traumatic. Uh, and when I read about it, it just sounds like it was true because what happened was it, apparently it took the city by complete surprise. Like two days prior to this winter storm coming to Birmingham, the temperature gauge read 60 degrees. And uh, over the course of a couple days, the, the temperature dropped sharply and uh, sleet and snow and ice fell on a city that was just totally unprepared for it. And what happened was it separated a lot of people from their homes. Uh, it separated a lot of people from the place that, you know, that, they, that they call home. So uh, there were stories that surfaced of children 
having to ride out the night it's in their school with their teacher because they, they couldn't get home. And men and women apparently were stuck at, at work and, and couldn't get home. People that needed emergency medical care couldn't get to hospitals. I mean, it just sounded like a nightmare. If you look at pictures uh, of it, you'll see uh, just cars strewn along all like what looks like every major road <laughs> in Birmingham. Just so many people were unable to, to make it home and were stranded in really frigid temperatures, uh, many of whom didn't have like heavy winter jackets or, uh, or winter gear in, in any way. And that just sounds... That just sounds awful. And one time somebody was telling me the story and he called these people snowpocalypse refugees. I mean, that took me by surprise because, you know, I imagine, I have something in my imagination that I think of when I think of refugees. But the more I think about it, the more it actually works. You know, somebody's far from home, can't get home, ill-equipped to deal with their circumstances, in need of help, in need of some warmth from somebody, uh, relying on somebody else's generosity. I think that that's kind of an apt description. And if that, if, if that definition works uh, for those who, who uh, endured the snowpocalypse, then I think, I think it certainly fits what we see in Naomi and, and Ruth in this story. You think about it. They're very far from the place that they made home 10 years ago, for for the last 10 years. They're probably arriving in Bethlehem with very little means to make a living. They They are relying on the kindness of the people that they're coming to when they come back. And Naomi, it looked like some people from the town recognized Naomi, remembered her from when she left 10 years ago, but, but Ruth's situation is uh, far more uh, difficult. She is coming as uh, a foreign widow that nobody knows uh, into an unfamiliar place with little ability to make her own life there. And the beautiful thing that we see in chapter 2 is that it looks like she came to the right place. And the argument that I want to make before you is that she found what a refugee is looking for. She found refuge. But it goes deeper than that. Because what she really found was covenant refuge. She found a refuge in a place amongst a community that is shaped by the relationship that they have with God. And so as I lay this out, here's what I want to say about this covenant refuge that Ruth finds herself in is that she finds in this covenant refuge a place to belong amongst a people of kindness beholding a life of promise. A place to belong amongst a people of kindness beholding a life of promise. So first we see a place to belong here. And this is really really wonderful because you just see some simple things early in the story that, that are meeting some of Ruth and Naomi's very basic needs. And the first is simply provision. She shows up and she is immediately looking for food. And of course, it's always food. Food was the reason that uh, Naomi and Elimelech and their family left to go to Moab. And, and word of the famine lifting in Israel is one of the reasons that they came back to Bethlehem. And so they're chasing food. And in verse 2, Ruth says to Naomi, I'm going to go to the fields and glean.'" 
Now, if you're unfamiliar with the process or, uh, or the practice of gleaning, I threw a, a verse in Leviticus in the little quotes right at the beginning. But it was a law, and you can find it there in Leviticus and also Deuteronomy, that, that God uh, established amongst his people that obligated landowners uh, to provide for those who were poor without means or, or the sojourner that was among them. And so landowners were, uh, during the time of harvest, uh, would only reap in their fields up to the very edges. But they would, leave, they, would leave, uh, they would leave grain on the ground, and they would leave the edges of their fields unharvested. So, so, so those who didn't, uh, didn't have means for themselves could come and, uh, and get food for themselves. It was, it was a practice that God established amongst the people as a way of providing for those who are poor. And that, that is what Ruth is doing. She is availing herself, uh, herself of the generosity that God has shaped his people to enjoy. And so you see that there's a place to belong because there's just provision. And you also see uh, a pl- that she finds a place to belong because she has work to do. Now, like, she immediately sets and goes about to work. And this is important because work gives us a purpose. It gives us a sense of purpose. It gives us dignity. It's one of the things that we were created to do. And it appears that Ruth worked really, really hard. The report of the servant in charge in verse 7, when talking about her, it says that she's continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. And it doesn't say this in the text, but my bet is that that, that, was probably, that was probably really good for Ruth, that she probably really enjoyed that, that, uh, that it felt good, like she was beginning to get a sense that she could belong there. So we see provision, we see work, and then finally, we see that this is really important, we see safety. That Boaz, a godly man, was incredibly sensitive to the vulnerabilities of this woman who was alone working in the fields. We see in a couple of places, Naomi says it, uh, Boaz says it, but uh, that, that it could be unsafe for her to be in the fields alone, and, and maybe in some other fields she might have been unsafe. But Boaz said, stay close, stay close to the women of my household, and I have charged my servants not to touch you. And he says, draw the water that I'm providing for you, that my people are providing for you. So Boaz, in his sensitivities and in his goodness, in the ways that he mirrors God's uh, character, is providing a place for her to belong. It just, and, and, and here's what I want you to see. That, that the ingredients of, of cultivating a place to belong can sometimes come in the most basic of ways. And, and I hope that you're encouraged as you think about this. Because we all, in many ways, steward multiple spaces. Some of them are more fit for people to belong than others. But when we think, when we think about what it looks like to create in our homes, when we think about our neighbors, uh, in our workspaces, in our church communities, and, and in many other spaces that we steward, that the gift of creating a place of belonging is entirely attainable. It can be as simple as that. But we're not done yet, are we? Like what Ruth, Ruth sees a place of belonging, but we also see that she exists amongst a people of kindness. And much of this we see in Boaz here, that, uh, that, uh, that the kindness is captured by the way that Boaz treats Ruth. 
And the first thing that he does is that he recognizes her. That he recognizes her for who she is. This is really sweet. A, a conversation, in the conversation that Boaz has with Ruth, Ruth is seeing all the ways that Boaz is being really generous to her, and she's almost overwhelmed when she asks this question in verse 10. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Remember the way that Ruth, this is going to matter. Remember the way that Ruth thinks of herself. She calls herself an outsider. As if she doesn't deserve his attention or his generosity. But Boaz's response to Ruth is beautiful. He says, all that you have done for Naomi since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. He says, this is how people are talking about you. Is that they have seen, they have seen what you did. They have seen the sacrifices that you've made and the ways that you are caring for Naomi. And so he's giving, he, is, he is giving her the, the wonderful kindness of seeing her for who she is and telling her about what he thinks when he thinks of her, what he knows about her. And so he recognizes her. And then we see that he includes her. Verse, uh, verse 14 she begins eating with Boaz's people. That he, in, he invited her in to their gathering uh, over a meal during a workday. And, and he invites her to sit amongst the people of his household. And even shares prepared food with her. And so he begins including her. And then finally we see that Boaz is incredibly generous with her. Verse 15, Boaz tells his workers to leave out some of the bundles so that she can even glean amongst them. That would mean that her work of harvesting would become a lot more efficient and that she'd be able to go home with a lot more. He's just simply being generous with her out of his own wealth because he is now being more, much more generous with her than the requirements of the law uh, required of him. And we see that it worked. It says there she went home with an ephah of barley. That's a measurement, but it's about five and a half gallons. I think that's enough. Experts say that that's probably about a two-week supply for two people. It's just incredible generosity that we see in this. And so I think it's hard for us to overestimate the ways that these simple acts of kindness and the way that Boaz treated Ruth would have impacted her. Because when we pull all this together, I think what you see is that it's these acts of kindness that's taking an outsider and making her an insider. She thinks of herself as a Moabite, a foreign woman. She, she kind of sees, she identifies herself that way. And he says, no, you're caring for a member of my family. In fact, you come and eat with us. In fact, take home some of my wealth with you to help you live. These are the, this, is, this is what it takes just simple acts of kindness is what it takes to take an outsider and make her an insider. And that's what we see that's happening here. And it's just incredibly, incredibly sweet. This is probably a silly example, but it sticks out in my memory. Um, many of you know 
that I, uh, I like to uh, white, one of my hobbies is that I like to whitewater kayak, okay? And I got into it because my dad does it, and he got members of my family into it. And I know it's super weird, but um, just, bear, just bear with me here. And, uh, but I, one of the reasons that I have come to love the sport is really because of all the cool people that you get to hang out with, uh, because you do it. And several years ago, I was just getting started, and I went to a multi-day paddling event where a bunch of people uh, from all over the country kind of came together at a campground uh, with all kinds of different boats, and we would spend, you know, days camping and then chasing rivers together, and that, that was the way it went. And I was told, hey, you'll learn a lot, you'll meet some people, it's probably a good experience. And so I went, and I went not knowing a soul. And uh, I'll, never remember, I'll never forget that feeling of just kind of showing up in the middle of nowhere, relying on the kindness of the people that are there, and having no idea how you might fit in. And I pulled up, I set up my camp, and then I just began to walk, away, walk around amongst a bunch of people that had a history with each other, you know? Like they've got stories they're telling and inside jokes, and nobody's doing anything wrong, but uh, I am just asking the question, am I ever going to kind of like fit in and find a place amongst these people? And, and you, many of you know what this feels like, because, and you know that when, when uh, you're in a scenario like that, you just are so aware of yourself. <laughs> like I am not wearing clothes that are anything like what everybody else is wearing here, you know? Like, everybody has tattoos. I don't have any tattoos. Like, do they only like people with tattoos? And I I walked into a common space. I think we called it the hut or the gazebo. It was just kind of this covered space with a fire where everybody was gathering. And uh, and somebody saw it. uh, I think they saw my face. And uh, I just felt very much like an outsider. And I'm standing there on the edges. Don't know anybody. Nobody to talk to. And somebody just fired out of their chair and came over and started talking to me. And he invited me. We didn't talk long. He just invited me to come sit with him and his friends. And I sat there, and it wasn't five seconds before somebody put a beverage in my hand. What happened? I was recognized, right? I was recognized, and I'm losing myself here. He included me, and they were generous to me. And that's really all it takes. That's really all it takes. That's what it looks like. Simple acts of human kindness is really all it looks like to move people from the terrifying world of feeling like an outsider to the reassured, peaceful feeling of feeling like you're an insider in a place. And I got to tell you, it really takes an insider to do that. Like with Boaz, with Boaz, he, um, he used everything he had. He used everything he had available in order to leverage it on behalf of Ruth. He had wealth. He had significant wealth is what it looks like. And he he, uh, used it to help her. He had influence amongst his own home and his workers, and he used that to help her. He's probably talking with people in town about her. At least it looks that way. And he's just leveraging the things that he has and giving them in, in a way that makes Ruth move from being an outsider to an insider. And, if, and, and if, I, if I can even stretch this out a little further, one of the things I want you to see when we look at Ruth is what it looks like for God's people to function as the missional community that he calls us to be. Because Ruth is nothing if not a story of what it looks like for a foreigner who worships foreign gods to become inculcated and involved in the covenant people of God. 
That she, she comes in as an outsider and has made an insider. That she committed herself. I will, I, your God will be my God. And that's what we see happening. That eventually she becomes a part of the community. And friends, you simply belong before you believe. And that is what's happening with Ruth. And when we think about our missional posture, just as a community of God's people, one of the things that we see is that God calls our lives together to be something so sweet that it would stand out as something different amongst our neighbors. That people around us would look at us and see, hey, there's just something different about them. Look at the ways that they treat each other. Look at the ways that they treat people they don't even know. I've got a friend who, uh, I've got a friend, uh, not at this church, I got, I, I've got friends at this church too, but this person doesn't go to this church. But, uh, but he shows up to church every Sunday like he's on a mission. He, he comes to serve and to be served. Um, but he comes early and he stays late. And, when, and he just simply uses his friend. He's a very engaging guy. He's the kind of guy that would just make you feel super comfortable. And he shows up early and he stays late. And for him, if somebody's standing alone, you know, in a room somewhere, that's like an emergency situation, you know. And there are people that belong to the church that he goes to. There are people that have met Jesus because they first met this guy at a worship service. And it sounds really simple, doesn't it? And maybe it's a little more complicated than that, but I'll tell you, it's of grave importance for us to think about this. Like, I just want to ask you, what is it, what what do you have that you can give to people who, who interact with us, who come around us, or want to know more about us? What do you have? You probably, the truth is, you probably have more than, than you think you do. I mean, you probably have friendships. You have access to places of hospitality and and friendship. You probably have trust that's been built up over time. And those are just simple things that you can wield leverage on behalf of others. And the importance of this, just to, to, let me just challenge you to think about that. The importance of this is grave. Because what we see is that this leads Naomi and Ruth to begin to behold a life of promise. Look at this. I'm calling it promise because Ruth goes home and she begins to have a conversation with Naomi where they unpacked everything that had gone on during the day. You can imagine the sight of that where Ruth comes home with five and a half gallons of barley and then a bunch of prepared food that came from somewhere. Naomi's going to have some questions. I would imagine this was an energetic conversation, I would just think. And so Naomi unpacks for uh, Ruth unpacks for Naomi all the things that had happened, and look at how Naomi interprets this. Ruth probably doesn't know what to do with all of this that she's received, but Naomi sees it as promise. Look at verse 20. May Boaz be blessed by the Lord because of his kindness. He has not forsaken the living or the dead. And there's a debate about this passage. Is, is it because of the Lord's kindness to Ruth? Or is it because of Boaz's kindness to Ruth? And you know what? Just about every, every, uh, every expert I read on this says that's the, the ambiguity about that's important. And what Naomi is saying is that God's kindness to Ruth is inextricable. Or is even manifested 
amongst Boaz's kindness to Ruth. That one of the ways that Ruth understands that God, their God, Yahweh, is a God of kindness and generosity and provides places of belonging for his people is through the actions of one of their righteous men. That's what we see in this passage. That, that Boaz is holding out in the way that he treats Ruth. Boaz is holding out for her a life of promise rooted in an all-powerful God. That's what we see here. And then she observes that Boaz could serve as one of their redeemers. Like just like uh, gleaning was a practice in Israel... Um, not, I'm betting not everybody, not everybody was perfectly righteous about gleaning, but Boaz certainly was. So was this practice of kinsman redeemer. Um, so the way it worked was that um, this was one of the laws of God. A kinsman redeemer was obliged to buy back relatives that might have fallen into slavery or fallen into debt in some way. It was one of the ways that people were called, people with means were called to take care of each other. It was just another way that shaped their understanding of how powerful people would treat the powerless. And uh, under certain circumstances, a kinsman redeemer, that could be Boaz, Naomi observed, a kinsman redeemer would marry... uh, the, the widow of a family member who died and uh, in order to have, have children and ensure that that family line, the person who died, that their family line would continue and the inheritance of that family would stay within the family. It was just another example for us of the way that God has structured his people to live, to live in a way that shows generosity and kindness for the weak and the vulnerable that, that, they, that they live among and this is how God, this is how God shaped. In fact, one of the ways, if you retrace a lot of what Boaz did, what you see is his actions are rooted in the explicit expectation that God set amongst the people. And when you examine God's law, hello children, I'm almost done. When you examine God's law, you can observe with remarkable consistency the ways that he structured them to be a place of covenant refuge. That the refuge that Ruth enjoyed is an ideal example of what their place should be like. Because when we, when we provide refuge for people, that they're not just experiencing us and our goodness. They're experiencing the goodness of the God that we worship together. One commentator put it this way. He said, the covenant includes God's kindness to his people and their consequent kindness to each other. And look, that's the way it works with us too. Because of the work of Jesus, we who were once outsiders to God's kingdom have become insiders. The good news of the gospel is that he draws in the powerless. The good news of Jesus is that we have been adopted by God as his children. And in Jesus, we have been redeemed at great cost to himself. And in him, we have obtained an inheritance of eternal life. Ruth is rejoicing that she has found Boaz's favor. And we rejoice that through Jesus we enjoy the favor of God. And every time that we extend, that we extend the invitation of a life of peace amongst our neighbors, we are simply embodying what Jesus has already done for us. We are living out our conviction of the best thing that ever happened to us.
Uh, you know, occasionally, I, every now and then, I think about that day in 2014. Um, when so many people were separated from their loved ones and, and their family members under emergency situations, it just sounds bad. But a lot of the stories of a lot of heroes also emerged that day. Like, I, I've, I, over this past week, I read stories about uh, restaurant owners giving away food, just warm food to people who needed it. I read stories about a doctor. I read a story about a doctor who hiked six miles through the snow to go perform a life-saving surgery in a hospital. But you know who else showed up that day? Apparently, the church did. Apparently, there was some number of churches that threw open their doors to snowpocalypse refugees that day and gave them warm shelter and gave them food. I know a few people that woke up the next morning in order to go in and cook pancakes for people that couldn't get home. And I just wonder, I wonder who those people were, who those refugees for a night, what they experienced. I wonder how many of them might have been hurt by a church at one time in their life. I mean, we are surrounded by refugees of the church. I wonder how many of them might have never known a church. And I wonder how many of them returned home curious about what might go on at a church that throws open its doors to strangers. But when we ask how God could use a community of faith in Birmingham, which we should ask of ourselves, friends, it could just start there. Let me pray. Well, what a story. What a thing you did for us. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the opportunities that are around us. Help us to understand with joy the goodness that we've received and the goodness that we can pass on. I ask these things in the name of our older brother, our friend, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.